Heavenly Father, may your word be a light to this church. And may this church have the courage to be the radical church that you have called it to be. Amen. Everyone has a different technique for reading books. Some don't read. That's what they do. They just look at it on the bookcase and say, brilliant, looks pretty, color-coordinated, nice binding, leather, maybe red, I'll just leave it there. Some of us open a book up, we read a chapter, and we think to ourselves, that's pretty good. Some of us will read the beginning of a chapter and the end of the chapter to see whether it's worth reading. Some of us read the last chapter to see if it's worth reading the entire book. Some of us will read the preface and the introduction and the typeset and where it was printed and who was the publisher and when they opened up and which were, are they still printing to decide whether the book was worthy to be read. Revelation is not one of those books. It is too hot to touch without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, if you read the book of Revelation, you arrive at 1844, October 22. Without the Holy Spirit, you arrive at September 6, 1994. Without the Holy Spirit, you arrive at May 21, 2011. All dates where people predicted that Jesus would return. Without the Holy Spirit, you would arrive with David Koresh at Waco, Texas, and Jim Jones at Guyana, all abusing and killing people under false pretenses. Without the Holy Spirit, uh, you would adopt apocalypse and rapture, and you would apply these words to all sorts of crazy things. In January 2010, when Haiti was hit by the catastrophic earthquake, and they had heard, by the way, for many years, that if you were to reach the end of the world, the apocalypse, the rapture, it was going to happen after a great earthquake. So when this earthquake had happened, people, it was noted, people ran around all over Haiti, ripping their clothes, crying and screaming, saying, the apocalypse is here. Tragic, isn't it? That's without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, with understanding from God, the book of Revelation, when it is read, it is controversial. It is difficult. It is complex. It is nuanced. It is radical. And it is the most beautiful expression of Jesus Christ. It is the capstone and it is the inspiration for music, art, and worship. It is pastoral, it is poetry, and it is prophecy. It is the strongest way to wrap up the entire biblical narrative. It is inspired for then and for now. It is the Jesus that you can't ignore. Revelation is the revelation, is the radical call of Jesus. I'm going to read to you Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to there. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. If you want to pull out the pew Bibles, you're welcome to do that as well. Um, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Um, I'm reading in the ESV, and in the pew Bibles, it's page 1128. Not hard to find, last book of the Bible. Skip all the way to the end there. Verse 1 of chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, 
which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. From God to Jesus to the angel to John. Revelation, Revelation in Greek basically means apocalypsis. It basically means that you have a jar and you open it and it is about Jesus. Your Bible may say it is a revelation of Jesus, but the Greek implies that it is about Jesus. It is from Jesus, it is from God, and it is an opening. So it is supposed to reveal Jesus Christ. God gave, John saw, and John wrote. Over 70%, over 70% of this book, this witness, this testimony, this story, comes from the First Testament. So I, I think the reading, really, in preparation, if you're going to study the book of Revelation, you really should have read the entire First Testament, right? So I hope you did that in preparation, because if you haven't, you're going to kind of be a little bit confused and maybe a little bit lost inside there. It's kind of a hard book to kind of just dive in without reading it, but I'm hoping that because you've grown up in the church, that maybe you've gone to Bible study classes, you've listened to maybe 9,000 different sermons, that you maybe have some kind of understanding inside there. You remember when we did the whole series on roads and we looked at the road to Emmaus and Jesus spoke to the Cleopas and his wife and he said to them, he said he began in scriptures and he showed who he was. He was talking about the First Testament. He was talking what we refer sometimes to as the Old Testament. Inside there, he showed who he was. John does the same thing. My friends, they needed this book of Revelation. Decades had passed since Pentecost. All the apostles had died save John. Jerusalem had been destroyed. Pagan Rome was growing rapidly. They were being persecuted by Rome. Did you know that in order to run a business, you would have to go and declare that Caesar was Lord. If you didn't declare that Caesar was Lord, you would not get a certificate. If you didn't have that certificate, you were not allowed to run businesses. If you couldn't run a business, you couldn't feed your family. And if you couldn't feed your family, you would die. And if you didn't get the certificate, they would ask you why you didn't have one, and you would be persecuted. Well, the Jews had an exception where they, couldn't, they didn't need the certificate. And they would actually turn in all the followers of the way. Followers of the way were people who followed Jesus Christ. All the Christians, they would turn them into the authorities. And then they were taken to court. And if they were taken to court, they would have 10 days. These 10 days were significant because at the end of the 10 days, there were two options, banishment or execution. That was all that it had, banishment or execution. Jesus had not returned. John, the final apostle, he was now banished to Patmos Island, a rocky island on the Aegean Sea. He was out there, they were all alone. This church birthed on the day of Pentecost, 5,001 day, this church was struggling now. So John pens, under the power of the Spirit, nearly 10,000 words to refocus and encourage them with the radical call of Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. As read by Kevin, I'm reading it to you again. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, 
who was, who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Look, if you read the Daily Walk, you would have picked this up, but I want to just repeat this to you because this is really important. He says grace and peace. He uses the Greek and the Hebrew, charis and shalom. He combines both worlds together when he greets the church to them. And the reason he does this, and the order is very important, he never says peace and grace. He says grace laid on us creates peace. Do you hear that? I need you to repeat this with me just because it's a hot day and I think you may just kind of like doze off a little, a little bit there. So just try this with me. Grace laid on us creates peace. Let's try that one more time. Grace laid on us creates peace. Isn't that beautiful? This is the order. He says, when you have grace, you have peace. Given to the seven churches, not just the first portion, not just these first few chapters here, not just the relevant section, the entire 22 chapters, all 10,000 words. Well, let me just pause for a second here. There are so many ways to approach the book of Revelation, right? There are so many ways to read this book, to try and unpack it, and it's kind of an interesting book, and, and it can kind of get dangerous inside there, but I, I want to remind you this, I'm going to do this every week just to make sure that you kind of stay on point here, but let's take our worship guide, because you'll need your worship guide, there's some questions inside here. If you haven't got your worship guide, just put your hand up, and uh, members of our diaconate elders, they'll make sure you get one. Just put your hand up at the back there. Yep, anybody, everybody needs a worship guide? Right. In your worship guide, and this is online as well, all the questions are online afterwards when these sermons are posted so you can have them. The very first question here is, what was the reading of Revelation, what has the rev reading of Revelation done for your walk with Jesus? What has the reading of Revelation done for your walk with Jesus? That's a serious question, right? Because <laughs> I don't know if, if you've ever read the book of Revelation before today or whether you grew up reading the book of Revelation, but as a child, when I read the book of Revelation, I was kind of petrified a little bit of it. I remember reading this, I remember hearing some messages about this and thinking to myself, wow, there's a lot of rocks falling on people, there's, a, there's the mark of the beast, uh, there's something called the plagues. There was a lot of death taking place inside there. There was like, there was no more sea. I kind of like the sea. I, I like to swim, you know. I'm like, what, what's going on? Heaven looked kind of interesting. There was a lot of gold. I was like, people really like gold. I mean, a lot of gold. And then there was a lot of very squares, a lot of squares all the time. And, and the building seemed really strange, the shape of heaven. I mean, it just seemed weird, some of the stuff. And, and I didn't see the picture of who Jesus Christ was inside there. So it's a serious question because when I read Revelation now, I see the most beautiful picture of who Jesus Christ is. I'm kind of inspired by this book. I actually really think that it was the best way to wrap up the Bible. It was the capstone of the, of the Bible. So here's a few things that I want you to remember as we approach this book. First, and you'll repeat this with me, I will pace myself, right? right? I will pace myself. Let's try that together. We're not very good with unison, are we? I will pace myself. I should conduct, I should get Becky Carlisle to conduct everybody, right? Resist the urge to know everything, what everything means instantly. I know you, a little OCD as a church, and you want to know everything instantly, but resist this. Second, I will enjoy the journey. I will enjoy the journey. My, my, my. Let's try that together. I will enjoy the journey. Is it not, is it, it is up there, right? All right, all right, just, just, 
curious. All right, good. The book of Revelation is from Jesus. It's about Jesus, and it will show you the full character of God. You will know more about the Holy Spirit. You will know more about Jesus. You will know more about God. You will know about the full character of God. Third, this was true then, and it is true now. Let's try it together. This was true then, and it is true now. It meant something back then, and it means something new to us now. So we've got to take comfort in the knowledge that Jesus is always prepared. I love the story that Sean was sharing because it's true. No matter what happens, he's, you know, like he said, if Jesus, is, we need a fireman, he's going to send us a fireman, he's going to send us a mechanic, he'll send us a mechanic. What we need, God will send us. It is a symbolic book, though. Often we read this book, and we spend so much time battling inside this book. Is it literal? Is it not literal? And we're battling all other 144,000. Are they a literal number? We'll address that next week. It's okay. It is a symbolic book, rich with chiastic structures, rich with lots of examples. Now, let me give you a couple of examples so you understand the, the way that it's written. Genesis. You know, it's, it's a good way to start. We'll start at Genesis. We'll go through every book of the Bible. <laughs> Genesis. Uh, this week on Monday, uh, the pastors were all called together in, in, uh, at the conference office, and if you get the Rocky Mountain News, which is the conference office's news nuggets, there you go, Ray, a little plug for you, you know, it's good, it's the newsletter from the conference department, letting you know what's going on around the conference area, you would have read the report that Mark Finley and Des Cummings Jr., who are both, I think, about 9,000 years old combined together, uh, they came to share to, with us uh, a little bit about creation health. See, the creation health message works. They live on. And, and they were sharing with us about the creation story and the chiastic structure inside there and how beautiful it is and how it's written in poetry. Day one informs day four. Day two informs day five, etc. I would go further and say that even the beginning, tobu wabohu, you know, the, the actual void and emptiness informs the Sabbath, that actual out of nothingness comes the Sabbath inside there. So I would say that those two things come inside there. There is purpose in the way that it actually is written. Same with the flood story. The flood goes up, the flood comes down. The chiastic structure in the middle, by the time you get to the middle, you have, and God remembered Noah. Beauty and messages in the style of the way that it is written. So great poetry has two qualities, right? Beautiful language means that it's written well, and it speaks to our world, and it's applicable. So when you read in Revelation 1, the description of Jesus, which Kevin read for us, it is the finest poetry, it has deep application, and it has several of these chiastic structures written inside there. That means that the first and the last, and the second and the sixth, and the third and the fifth description, and the fourth, they all match. Now, you, you may think to yourself, well, this is all kind of interesting, this is all mathematical, and, and I don't understand this, but it makes a significant message when you understand what the middle message is all about, what that center of that kind of lampstand, if you imagine there was like a lamp, seven branches, and what that middle one was, there's something inside there. So the first and the last, you have the white hair and the shining face, forgiveness and blessing, First and final impressions, you have the second and sixth, eyes and mouth, communication relationship inside there, third and fifth, feet and right hand, capable, active. But when you get to the fourth, when you get to the middle one inside there, it's the voice. You've got to remember this. It's the voice. Everything comes together in the voice. So, number one, I need you to embrace your imagination when you're reading the book of Revelation. 
I need you to place yourself on the island of Patmos. Imagine what it would be like to be on this rocky island, to see and to know that all these churches out there are struggling and you can't do anything. And you're praying every day to your heavenly father saying, God, what can we do to encourage them? Imagine what God is gonna send to you. I want you to, as you read the revelations, as you start to understand what it is, to start to think to yourself, where do you think 70% of all that he's written, where did he get these ideas? When he talks about Jesus and his shining face, where did that image come from? Could it be from Moses when he had the encounter with God, he had a shining face as well? Do you see what I mean? And when, number three, I want you to look for the blessing. Remember, verse three, you will receive a blessing. You should be blessed. You should not be scared. You should be blessed with the promises inside you. So we're gonna get in, ready? Chapters two and three, seven churches. Then and now then and now. There is a deep pastoral message, then and now. There are seven churches that were chosen for their characteristics, then and now. And the seven chosen because of their issues, then and now. But today, I'm gonna to try and focus more on the now, even though I would love to spend some time with you talking about the then, because I think the then focuses and tells us a little bit about how to understand the now, but time is really limited. I'm looking at the time, it's limited. Let me just tell you a couple of things of the then so you can kind of get excited and think to yourself, I should go read about this. I should go read the Daily Walk. I should go read some of the commentaries because it's so good. Let me give you a couple of the then. They get a white stone, right? Because when you went to court, as you walked into the court, you would see a black or a white stone. If you had a black stone, it's over. If you had a white stone, yes. Jesus says, I give you a white stone. All right, so when you're reading this, you're like, and he says, I know you guys have got hard times, but don't worry, I give you a white stone. They are lukewarm, right? You read in there, it says they're lukewarm. In Laodicea, they had these springs from hot springs that would send this hot water and these cold streams that would come. And, and as they traveled the seven miles through their viaducts to this incredible city, as they came there, they arrived, they emerged, and they became lukewarm. So when he describes lukewarm, they're like, yeah, we understand the language. This is kind of normal. Lukewarm is normal. It just makes sense to them. It's not having to be explained. When you read some of the language and it says Jesus, and it's describing Jesus, and he has a, a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Freaky, right? Right? You see those pictures, right? A two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. You're like, why, John, would you have to describe Jesus? With, couldn't you say just he had like, you know, good lips? I mean, just like, I mean, a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth because the two-edged sword in that city represented the authority and power over life and death. But you see, Jesus says, I am the one who has overcome death. I am the one who has authority over life and death. I am the one who's gonna save you. There's so many of these. I mean, we could just go on and on about all of these, but time, time, we have to talk about the now because we could spend too much time inside there. But let me just do one more. I am the alpha and the Omega, right? Who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I love that one, that's like one of my favorites, right? Back then, there was a Greek goddess called Hecate. 
she used that phrase. That was her phrase. Jesus comes along and he co-ops it and says, no, 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 no. I'll tell you who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is the A to Z. I'll tell you who is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. It is I. I am the one who controls all life. And this is what Jesus does then so that he understands we know that Jesus is in control. Each church now, each church represents a different period of time, all right? And they have great advice for each church and great characteristics for each church. The late John Stott, I don't know if you've ever listened to any of John Stott's sermons or if you've ever read any of his books, he was a theologian, a pastor in London, in England. He described the seven churches and he gave a little characteristic for each one. He said, this is what the churches kind of summarized as. He said, to be love is Ephesus, to be suffering is Smyrna, to be speak truth is Pergamon, to be holy, Thyatira, Thyatira, to be authentic, Sardis, to have mission, Philadelphia, wholeheartedness, Laodicea. While I believe that we are living in Laodicea, while I believe that that is the period that we understand today, I think we should have all the other characteristics. I think we should be a radical church and that we should actually have love and we should speak truth and we should be holy and we should have mission and we should have wholeheartedness. But as in any typical biblical story, authenticity and vulnerability go hand in hand, all right? So there's no mincing of words in the Bible. I know sometimes we, we want to read the Bible and we want to think to ourselves, it's just cuddly, right? It's just going just gonna to wrap me up and, and hold me. Well, no, there's no mincing of words. There's no covering up of mistakes. There's no holding back all the punches. Each time, Jesus is going to remind them to be a radical church, you need to, and, and I'm going to say this very slowly, because they can be offensive, these two words. Repent and conquer. Repent and conquer. Repeat that with me. Repent and conquer. And I know, because I was sharing this with some people the other day, and they were like, whoa, I don't know. I don't like those words. Those, those are kind of interesting words. What do they really mean? I mean, what are we, what are we calling people to? Repent and conquer, because they conjure up certain emotions, especially if you've come from a legalistic, kind of overcoming perfectionist background, repent and conquer, I don't know. They have all sorts of issues inside there. So repent, repent means that you need to take a moment to recalibrate your life. You need to take a moment to recalibrate your life. That means that if you're facing one direction, you need to take 180 degrees and turn right around. It means that, you know, when you talk to your children, and I, I say this to my boys all the time, uh, and, and they, will, they will sometimes say to me, Dad, I'm sorry. And I'm like, I don't want you to say sorry. I want you to stop. <laughs> I don't need another sorry. This is sorry. I mean, I've lost count how many times the sorry's popped up. What I need is this to stop. I need, I need biblical repentance. That's what I need. I need you to change, right? This is what God is holding for us, and this is what he's trying to encourage us to do. I'm asking you for to change your life. In the Greek, right, it implies, repentance implies a decisive turning around, a radical turning around. Now, conquer, conquer is different. Maybe in your Bibles, when you look it up, you, you sometimes in some translations, it says overcome, or it says uh, victorious. I love that one. But in the Greek, in the Greek, the translation actually means 
continuous overcoming. Not complete, this is important, but continuous. Jesus is saying everyone can conquer every day, continuously conquering, continuously repenting and conquering, saying, Jesus, I face this giant in my life, and I don't know what to do with it, and I need your help and strength to address it. So question number two inside the worship guide. What does, and this is a hard question for us, and I hope that you will address it sometime soon. Question number two. What does our church need to repent of? What do we need to conquer? What do we as partners with the mission and vision need to repent and conquer here? What do we as fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and daughters and sons need to repent and conquer? To be a radical church, we need to repent and conquer. Believe me, this letter, John is writing here, Revelation, was not by invitation, all right? I'm sure they were thinking, John, you should have kept this to yourself. I don't know if you've ever received a letter, an email, probably not a letter, because it's very rare you get letters these days, but uh, whether you received an email, you thought, why did this person write this email? I mean, seriously, they should not have written this email. They should have just pressed delete and maybe even delete themselves. I mean, I mean, there's no point. There's no point. There was no point in this email. It was just like a waste of technology and, and their fingers and all that kind of stuff. So people write this stuff. I'm sure that seven churches, when they received the 10,000 words and they read through this, which they understood, right? We have to translate it all. They understood this. They were like, John, you're lonely on Patmos. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> we're doing fine. We'll survive, right? But they picked up all the negative comments inside here, and they understood the radical call from Jesus inside here. No one wants to hear the news that requires them to repent and conquer. So uh, this week, um, I, uh, I went to see my doctor. I have been avoiding my physical for one, no, two, maybe three years. Uh, I have been avoiding my physical for a while, right? So. <laughs> Uh, so I went to see my doctor, Scott Derude, he's not here today, so I can say this. Uh, and, uh, and as I got to stand on the scale, I thought to myself, oh, should I take my phone out of my pocket? All right, because that could really tip it just to scale, right? Or, or maybe, maybe the keys, oh, I got the church keys. Those two keys are so heavy. Uh, and so I took the phone and the keys and then Birkenstocks, very, the buckles, very heavy. I took those off as well. And then I thought, what, what if I stand with, you know, just one foot on the scale? I'm not very good with physics. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a reality, right? Nobody enjoys having to, to adjust this kind of stuff inside. Reality checks, right? They never seem fun, right? But afterwards, they, they can be brilliant. They can be brilliant. By the way, you can replace doctor that word doctor with anything. What are, you, what are you avoiding in your life? You're avoiding family? You work really hard so you don't have to see your family? Are you avoiding daily walk so you can come to a sermon and kind of like, oh, I wish I understood what he was saying. Are you avoiding sin? Because you, you pretend that grace abounds forever so you don't have to address things in your life? Are you avoiding looking in the mirror of things that you have to face? Are you avoiding community 
saying, I'm always lonely, but you don't want to ever connect with anyone? Are you avoiding a life group so you don't have to have accountability? Are you avoiding friends? We find all sorts of creative ways, right, to avoid, to be honest with people. We say we're busy, we're exhausted, uh, it's not a big deal, or the best one, I like this one personally, I use this myself often. Later, I hope that I will try this next week. I've been gluten-free now for three weeks, um, three and a half weeks. It is horrible. I don't know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, for those of you who are gluten-free, power to you. You know, I am praying that it is not my solution. It is just, and I decided, it's one of those things where, you know, you, I was going to go on vacation, I, uh, and I thought, should I be gluten-free after vacation, which is always the solution, right? And I decided I'll be gluten-free before vacation. Stupid idea. Pretty, pretty. But I felt really good that I did it before. I felt very, you know beating myself up. Well, anyway, we try, we try. So we do all this kind of stuff inside it. But we, we miss all this stuff all the time. Well, the seven churches, they received this deep, radical call from Jesus. He wanted them to be radical churches again. And just like a great doctor, he said to them, you're not alone. I am with you, and I care for you, and I want you to be healthy. So what I say is with strength, and solutions. My doctor, Scott, pretty fantastic, actually. Um, he's pretty fantastic. I have a friend of mine who, uh, who's, who had to go see the doctor, and they had a problem, and uh, they got a prescription, and uh, the prescription, uh, they said to the doctor they had the problem, they took this prescription, went to the pharmacist, right? And uh, the pharmacist looked at the prescription, and then as they read the prescription, they, they're like, I can't do anything with this, turned the prescription, gave it back to the patient, the patient then looked at the prescription, the prescription said, lose weight. That's not a good doctor. That's actually a bit of a jerk, right? They don't have the courage, the decency, to be community, to care, to love, to say, I can help you. Scott's not like that. Scott, man, he was funny. And he was serious. He showed me the future. It was not good. <laughs> it was like revelation and kind of good, but I liked the gold, but I didn't like that, that Hades. And so it was like, <laughs> I thought, he said, you know, you don't want to be in a wheelchair. I'm like, no. <laughs> and, and the thing is, though, he said, this is what we can do together, right? And I left there, I was like, I left there good. I left there with a plan. I left there thinking, I can do this. I left there with courage. I left there with knowing my doctor actually loves me. My doctor actually cares for me. My doctor actually knows how he's going to help me, right? This is important. And I think that we understand this. When we read this text here, Jesus is saying, I've got to tell you, it's not good what's going on with these churches here, but you have to listen. And at the end of every message to each church, because as the message is going to get hard and we're going to get some, into some difficult areas today, and I want you to hear this. Jesus said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, all right? Do not forget this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So you remember when I said the Caesic structure where Jesus was describing who he is, he had all those beautiful things, blessings and cares and love and all this stuff. In the middle, he said, I have a voice 
and I'm going to say something to you, and you need to listen to that. That's what he says. Repent and conquer. But don't worry. As hard as the message is going to be, there are two things that are going to happen. First, at the start of every message, he's going to present a description of himself. And those characteristics that he used, that Kevin read for us, those characteristics, he says, I'm going to use those to help you. So when he describes, he has eyes of fire, right? And he sees in some translations, and I prefer this rather than the ESV, he says he sees into the kidneys and the heart, right? The kidneys are the seat of the emotions and the heart is the thinking. He says, I know you. I know you. I can see inside you as a church. I know your motive. Trust me, I know you. Second, he says, at the close of each message, just when you think it's all over, when you have heard me tell you everything that you're doing wrong, I want you to know this, that as you fail, I'm going to throw in a bonus. As the churches fail over time, Jesus increases more. You've got to repeat this with me. As the churches fail over time, Jesus increases more. You guys did a really poor job. Let's try this again. As the churches fail over time, Jesus increases more. That's just too good. Let's try that one more time. As the churches fail over time, Jesus increases more. As we decline, he adds more blessings each time. We've got to take hope from that. As we do a poorer job of being church, Jesus is going to offer more support. And we can't face our doctor and repent and conquer. He's going to step up more. If I go to Scott and say to him, I'm not doing a good job, he's going to say, I'm going to help you more. <laughs> Let's do it, right? This is what Jesus is saying inside here. So don't give up. And here's the beautiful thing inside there. As we face all these things, we think we can't break these habits in our lives. Jesus says, let me create community around us. So many people think that church is a club. Well, church is a club if nothing changes in your life. But if it's a community, if it's a church, you have to change. Here, these are the things that Jesus offers. Ephesus, he says, tree of life. Smyrna, he says, crown of life, escape from the second death. Pergamon, hidden manor, white stone, remember that? New name, Tyre, authority, all nations, rule with an iron scepter, dash nations into pieces, given the morning star. By the way, those are symbols, not acts of violence. Notice what's happening. Every church, every period, one, two, three, He's increasing it, right? Sardis, he's adding more because as the church declines, Jesus is stepping up more. Sardis, walk with Jesus, dressed in white robes, names, books of life, recognized by the Father, recognized by the angels. Philadelphia, kept an hour of trial, pillars in the temple, never leave the temple, name of God, name of the city, God's new name, Laodicea. We are Laodicea. What are we going to happen here? Now, I'm going to pause for a second because I've got to let you know something just before we hit there. Do you remember Lawrence Turner when he was here for our sanitas lectureship? Do you remember when he told us that incredible story about how Elijah and Moses and the comparison between the two and the way the biblical narratives were written, they're written in a rhythm, you know, Moses goes to the cave, Elijah goes to the cave, thunder happens, thunder happens, lightning happens, lightning happens, fire happens, fire happens, Moses hears God, Elijah, still small voice. There's a rhythm to take you on the journey and then it changes everything. John knows this technique. He's writing the story. You're thinking, one, two, three, four, five, six, Laodicea, I can count. It's going to be seven. You get to Laodicea, and this is what he says. Sit with Jesus on his throne. Repeat with me. We get to sit with Jesus on his throne. 
And you think to yourself, one? Until you understand the power of what it means to sit with Jesus on his throne. Next week, next week, we're going to unpack this fully, all right? You will understand the significance of this. But for now, let me just tell you this. It means that every single promise for all the churches is included inside that. Laodicea gets everything. We get everything because Jesus says you need everything. You're doing such a bad job, you need everything. Now look at this. Laodicea was Rome's wealthiest cities. It sounds like our world today here in Boulder and Denver County, the area. It represents us in the 20th century today. It was the church was comfortable. They had an earthquake, right, in AD 60. Uh, and they said to Imperial Rome, the head office, they said, we have enough cash and we have enough people. We don't need your help. We'll just take care of ourselves. They had medical centers that people traveled all over the world to come and learn how to have their eyes healed. They had Adventist health systems, Centura, they had Kellogg's, and they had Creation Health. And Jesus said, I have nothing good to say about you. What? Nothing? I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty amazing. He says, I have nothing good to say about you because... You have become all self-sufficient. You don't need me anymore. You have become complacent. You don't ask for me anymore. You have become blind to the needs of the world. You don't seek anymore. You are so comfortable, you are focused on becoming relevant, that you don't even transform lives anymore. You need to become holy and remember that it's because of what Jesus is doing in you that you are who you are. I need you to know that Jesus is not saying, and we often get into this cold thing because of the lukewarm reference. Jesus is not saying, I want you to be hot and not cold. He's saying, I want you to be either cold or hot, either one, because I need both. I need you to decide to stand for something. We need both, not this wavering, non-committal, kind of meandering in the wilderness people. Faith is renewed in community, and the Bible, it's constantly challenging us to belong to community. And by the way, just in case you're not quite sure what I mean when I say community, AKA, I'm gonna translate it, it's like a magic word. When I say community, I mean church. <gasps> Shock horror. <laughs> community, church. So I mean church, right? I mean church. God is saying, I want you to belong to church. In Genesis, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. I need you to belong to church. He says in Hebrews, do not neglect the gathering together. In Luke, he says, when you pray, he doesn't say, I pray to my Father. He says, our Father. We pray in community here. When he says in Galatians, bear with one another, you do that in church. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Reverse Thunder, page 44, says this. The life of faith is developed under the image of the Trinity in the context of community. This is a radical church. We develop our faith at church. Now, this is how it ends. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Turn with me, page 1131. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This is the last verses of the chapters there. Behold, and this is beautiful. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus 
quoting from Song of Solomon. Remember, 70% of this is from the First Testament. And by the way, he's not using the love phrase here that, of agape that we often refer to God here, which is the love for all of humanity here, but he's referring to the phileo love here, the love of a relationship here, community. It's the story of where the groom is knocking on the door of his bride saying, I want to come and break bread with you and have community with you and have a relationship. But to be the church, we have to be the community with everyone else. Verse 21 says here, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne and as, get this, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is a key verse. Next week, we'll explode this all out. This is what Jesus is saying here. It is not about us being as we are. It is about being what God has called us to. Did you hear that? It is not about us being as we are. It's about being what God has called us to. His robe of righteousness. His power of transformation in our lives. God wants to change us. Revelation 3.22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit speaks to all the churches, to all the times, to all the issues. So, I asked on Facebook, which is always very dangerous to do, um, a question. It's question number three, actually, inside your worship guide here. What would you need to change a church for you to bring your friends with you? Very dangerous question, right? And also, the, the difficulty with Facebook is that, I mean, uh, one of my friends posted on Facebook and said, well, why did you put a sad face there? I mean, did you meet this? I'm like, ah, it's difficult. You, you know, they, they don't have enough of well, those little smiley things that cover every single emotion inside there. So I posted on Facebook this question. What would you need to change a church for you to bring your friends with you? What ensued were nearly 200 comments. Stories of pain and rejection. Stories of compromise and loss. Stories of hopes and dreams. Stories of local issues and global issues. It was uh, good and it was hard as well. On Thursday though, Uliana posted in conversation in the post. She uh, runs by the church often uh, by here. Uh, she said, I read, this is, I got her permission to, to share this with you, I read, that the Seventh-day Adventist church, in general, is very anti-LGBT tattoos, piercings, and that they want women to dress a certain way. No rings, braids, or stuff I wear on my runs on a regular basis. Boulder Church is completely different. I showed up one day with my tattoo showing, fully expected to be given weird looks. Granted, it wasn't sermon, but I met several people. What I think that needs to happen is Boulder Church needs to set an example for the entire Seventh-day Adventist community. Christ accepted everyone, after all, even those who sinned. I was, I was moved by that. I was moved by that. I was moved by a lot of comments that were said inside there. Question number four is the hard question. It's a question that I want you to wrestle through. And I want you to take the Connect card and rip it. It's actually perforated. It's really easy. You just tear it like this. Tear it like this. What is the radical call of Jesus in your life? And I want you to take this Connect card. We have altars at the front and all the way around here. What is the radical call of Jesus for our church? This is the Connect card that I want you to do. How would you answer that? What is the radical call of Jesus for your life? What can you do to make it happen? And what do you think it actually is? On Tuesday night, the vision board will be meeting, and we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about the future of this church, 
We're going to talk about where we have been, what God has called us to be. We do this on a regular basis, but it's going to be a reset for us and where we're going to be going. And I want you to actually have a voice in part of that. So I want you to use the space. Put down in here what you believe God is calling us to be, to be a radical church, and what you believe you can do to help that. All right? A radical church remembers that its strength, are you ready for this? A radical church remembers that its strength is not in us, but in Jesus. All right? Now, don't misunderstand me. I love what we do, okay? I look forward to Sabbath mornings, but we are not the best, all right? We're not the best worship, we're not the best sermons, and we're not the best classes, all right? But what we really do is we hold on to Jesus, and I love this about this church, right? A radical church remembers that its success is not in numbers, but in faithfulness, all right? And I don't want you to misunderstand me again about this, but I, I love it when we come together. I love the energy in the room. I love that there is good community here, but we are not the largest services. We're not the largest classes. We're not the largest events. But what we really do is we are 100% faithful to Jesus. We're good for that. A radical church remembers that its mission is not in popularity, but in discipleship, right? And again, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I love being the first at trying things. <laughs> I love being innovative. I love that we're not afraid to try things, but we don't have, and we are not the most hipster people, and we're not the most styled buildings, and we don't have the best of everything. But what we really do really well, we make followers of Jesus Christ. A radical church remembers that its message is not in relevance, but in transformation. And again, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I love meeting the culture. I love making sure that we understand the context. We stretch ourselves here all the time, but we don't always speak to all cultures, to all groups, and to all ages. But what we really do really well is we like to see lives transformed in Jesus. So this is what we know. We know that if we lift up Jesus, if we lift up Jesus, there are implications and consequences. And if the kingdom is proclaimed, if the kingdom of God is proclaimed, at all costs, there will be changes. And those changes will be in our lives. So, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen and amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, You've called this community. Lord, in a time when all of us struggle, so many things pulling us apart, God, I ask that the Father, the Spirit, the Son infuse us. Lord, may we be transformed people. May we become disciples. May we be people that actually live lives of transformation in our homes, in our work, in our schools. May this church be a beacon to the community around us. We ask this in Jesus' most beautiful, precious name.